we are going to get started on chapter 17 of the coming of men into the west we haven't had a great deal of humans show up in this portion of uh, the book so far, and only a few human uh, families or lineages get mentioned. And this is kind of when we start to see them making uh, a name for themselves. All right, so let's begin. Chapter 17 of The Coming of Men into the West. When three hundred years and more were gone since the Noldor came to Beleriand, in the days of the Long Peace, Thinrod Felagund, lord of Nargothrond, journeyed east of Sirion and went hunting with Meglor and Maethros, sons of Feanor. But he wearied of the chase and passed on alone towards the mountains of Ered Lindon, that he saw shining afar. So those are like the mountains in the east, um, like the east-east of Middle-earth at this point. And taking the dwarf road, he crossed Gelion at the ford of Sarn Athrad. You don't have to remember that part. And turning south over the upper streams of Askar, he came into the north of Osiriand. In the valley among the foothills of the mountains, below the springs of Thalos, he saw lights in the evening, and far off he heard the sounds of song. At this he wondered much, for the green elves of that land lit no fires, nor did they sing by night. At first he feared that a raid of orcs had passed the leaguer of the north, but as he drew near, the, near he perceived it was not so, for the singers used the tongue that he had not heard before, neither that of dwarves nor of orcs. Then Felagund, standing silent in the night shadows of the trees, looked down into the camp, and there he beheld a strange people. Now these were a part of the kindred and following of Beor the Old, for spelling, that's B-E-O-R with an accent over the E, Beor the Old. As he was afterwards called, a chieftain among men. After many lives of wandering out of the east, he had led them at last over the Blue Mountains, the first of the race of men to enter Beleriand. So at this point right now, a lot of the elves are far over into the western part of Middle-earth. Beyond the, You remember we did a couple of weeks ago, there was that mountain range, and then to the east of it was like the rest of Middle-earth. Men have been hanging out, or humans, I should say, have been hanging out in, um, in this area for quite a while. After many lives of wandering out of the east, he had led them at last over the Blue Mountains, the first of the race of men to enter Beleriand. And they sang because they were glad, and believed that they had escaped from all perils, and had come at last to a land without fear. Again, Tolkien's subtlety and foreshadowing is like a train wreck on fire. Um, and then that train wreck on fire... Um, is like in the middle of a snowstorm or something. Long Felagund watched them, and love for them stirred in his heart. But he remained hidden in the trees until they had all fallen asleep. Then he went among the sleeping peoples and sat beside their dying fire where none kept watch, and he took up a rude harp which Beor had lain aside, and he played music upon it, such as the ears of men had not heard. For they had as yet no teacher of the art, save only the dark elves of the wild lands. Now men awoke and listened to Felagund, as he harped and sang, and each thought that he had was in some fair dream. Oh, excuse me. And each thought that he was in some fair dream, until he saw that his fellows were awake also beside him, 
but they did not speak nor stir while Feligund still played, because of the beauty of the music and the wonder of the song. Wisdom was in the words of the elven king, and the hearts grew wiser that hearkened to him. For the things of which he sang, of the making of Arda, of the bliss of Amon beyond the shadows of the seas, came as clear visions before their eyes, and his elvish speech was interpreted in each mind according to its measure. So this is kind of one of those cool elvish powers that doesn't ever really get mentioned, um, but it can be interpreted in different ways. Um, also, special thank you to JoeNell89 for the follow. Thank you. Um, so the people that are listening to this are hearing him speak in elvish, physically with their ears, but in their minds, it's a kind of elven magic and magic of the land that can translate into their heads and give them visions. So these men get a glimpse of what uh, the Undying Lands look like, of the Valar, of the, the two trees, all of those things that could, uh, that, war, that were in the past, uh, and some that still are. You can sort of translate that through music, and that's a great way of Tolkien sort of taking his... Um, his elven magic and sort of giving it a clear structure because we don't always get that. All right, I'll keep going. Thus it was that men called King Felagund, whom they first met of all the Eldar, Nom, N-O-M with an accent over the O. That is wisdom in the language of that people. And after him, they named his folk Nomin, the wise. Indeed, they believed at first that Felagund was one of the Valar, of whom they had heard rumors that they dwelt far into the west, and this was one, and this was, some say, the cause of their journeying. But Felagund dwelt among them and taught them true knowledge, and he and they loved him and took him for their lord, and were ever after loyal to the house of Finarfin. That's how you win uh, allies in this world. Just play them a bunch of music and teach them a bunch of stuff. <laughs> all right. Now the Eldar were beyond all other peoples, skilled in tongues, and Felagun discovered also that he could read the minds of men, very similar to Galadriel. Actually, I'm pretty sure these two are related. My elven lineage is not as good as it once was. I believe these two are related. Or I believe uh, Finrod Felagund is related to Galadriel don't exactly remember. It is also said that these men had long had dealings with the Dark Elves east of the mountains, and from them had learned much of their speech, and since all languages of Quendi were of one origin, the language of Beor and his people resembled the elven tongue in many words and devices. It was not long, therefore, before Felagund could hold converse with Beor, and, he dwelt, and while he dwelt with him, they spoke much together. But when he questioned him concerning the arising of men and their journey, Beor would say little, and indeed he knew little, for the fathers of his people had told few tales of their past, and a silence had fallen upon their memory. A darkness lies behind us, Beor said, and we have turned our backs upon it, and we ha do not desire to return thither, even in thought. Westward our hearts have been turned, and we believe that there we shall find light. And there's an interesting point here. Light has a capital L there. So in the English language, um, as, as has been previously said in a few other um, episodes that we've done here, 
When Tolkien capitalizes something, it usually means uh, more significance, or it will come up later. In this case, the light is a a call it a physical manifestation or a or a concept that the um, that these humans hold in reverence. All right, let's keep it going. But it was said afterwards among the Eldar that when men awoke in Hildorian at the rising of the sun, the spies of Morgoth were watchful, and tidings were soon brought to him. And this seemed to him so great a matter that secretly, under shadow, he himself departed from Angband and went forth into Middle-earth, leaving to Sauron the command of the war. Of his dealings with men, the Eldar indeed knew nothing at that time, and learnt but little afterwards. But that a great darkness upon the hearts lay upon the hearts of men, as the shadow of the kinslaying and the doom of Mandos lay upon the Noldor. So there's a little bit of a foil here, right? Men got corrupted by, by Morgoth in kind of the same way that there is corruption in the elves because of the kinslaying and the doom of Mandos. Uh, sorry, I lost my place here. Here we go. They perceived clearly even in the people of the elf friends whom they first knew. To corrupt or destroy whatsoever arose new and fair was ever the chief desire of Morgoth, and doubtless he had this purpose also in his errand, by fear and lies to make men and the foes of the, of the Eldar, and bring them up out of the sea, out of the east, against Beleriand. But this design was slow to ripen, and was never wholly achieved, for men, it is said, were at first very few in number, whereas Morgoth grew afraid of the growing power and union of the Eldar and came back to Angband, leaving behind at the time but few servants, and those of less might and cunning. Now Felagund learned from Beor that there were many other men of like mind who were also journeying westward. Others of my own kin have crossed the mountains, he said, but they are wandering not far away, and the Haladin, the people of whom we were sundered in speech are still in the valley of the eastern slope, awaiting tidings before they venture for, for, excuse me, further. There are yet other men whose tongues is more like ours, with whom we have dealings at, with whom we have had dealings at times. They were before us on the westward march, but we passed them, for they are a numerous people, and yet keep together and move slowly, being all ruled by one chieftain, whom they call. Marak, M-A-R-A-C-H. Now the green elves of Osiriand were troubled by the coming of men, and when they heard that the lords of the Eldar were coming over the sea was among them, they sent messengers to Felagund. Lord, they said, if you have power over these newcomers, bid them return by their ways that they came, or else go forward. For we desire no strangers in this land to break the peace in which we live. And these folks are hewers of trees and hunters of beasts. Therefore, we were their unfriends. And it literally says, we are their unfriends. Not, we are not friends. Tolkien sort of takes that um, archaic style of language and uses it with these wood elves. Therefore, we are their unfriends, and if they will not depart, we shall afflict them in all ways that we can. Then, by the advice of Felagund, Beor gathered all the wandering families and kindreds of his people, and they removed over Gelion, and took up their abode in the lands of Amrod and Amras, upon the east bank of the Kelon, south of Non-Elmoth, 
again, you don't have to remember all of this. This is just places. If you study the map and you recognize where this is, awesome. But, like, again, the geography of the first age is tough. Also, Mr. Rorin, thank you for the follow. Much appreciated. Someone's going to, like, clip my saying the word much appreciated and have, like, a counter going. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, and the name of that land thereafter was Estelad, the encampment. But when after a year had passed, Felagund wished to return to his own country. Beor begged him to come... Beg, excuse me, Beor begged leave to come with him, and he remained in the service of the king of Nargothrond while his life lasted. In this way, he got his name, Beor, whereas his name before had been Balan, for Beor signifies vassal in the tongue of his people. The rule of his folk he committed to, Balan, to Baran, his son, B-A-R-A-N is his son, his elder son and he did not return again to Estolad. So that's kind of one of those cool things of like, okay, we are here. The elves are going to teach you everything they can. Felagund is going to do what he can. But you can just have a year go by, and that's and that's like nothing to the elves. That's like a, an hour to us in, in, well, maybe not an hour, but it's close. It's close to a shorter time than we would understand. When you've been alive for... At this point, several thousand years, and you've only been in, uh, you've only been in Middle Earth probably three hundred plus ish. It's like nothing. Soon after the departure of Felagund, the other men of whom Beor had spoken came also into Beleriand. First came the Haladin, but meeting the unfriendship of the Green Elves, they turned north and dwelt in Thargelion, in the country of Caranthir, son of Theonor. There, for a time, they had peace, and the people of Caranthir paid little heed to them. In the next year, Marak led his people over the mountains. They were a tall and warlike folk, marching in ordered companies, and the elves of Osiriand hid themselves and did not waylay them. But Marak, hearing that the people of Beor were dwelling in the green and fertile land, came down the dwarf road and settled in the country south and east of the dwellings of Barad's son, of Barad, son of Beor, and there was great sh friendship between those people. Isn't it nice to see people getting along, right? You know what's going to happen, though. <laughs> Sorry, I got very serious there for a second. I couldn't resist. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and there was great friendship between these people. Yeah, good. Felagund himself often returned to visit men, and many other elves out of the Westlands, both Noldor and Sindar, journeyed to Estelad, being eager to see the Edain, which is what the elves refer to human as, the Edain. And it was there only, and it was there used only of these, excuse me, and it was there only, used only of the three kindreds of the elf kind. Oh, hang on, hang on, sorry, I, to I totally skipped something being eager to see the Adain, whose coming had long been foretold. Now, Atani, the second people, was the name given to men in Valinor, in the lore that told of their coming. But in the speech of Beleriand, that name became Edain, and it was there used only of the three kindreds of the elf friends. All right. Felagun, uh, uh, excuse me, Fingolfin, as king of all the Noldor, sent messengers of wealth. 
sent messengers of welcome to them, and then many young and eager to learn of the Adine went away and took service with the kings and lords of the Eldar. Among them was Malak, son of Marak. So Marak, the other chieftain of men, his son Malak, M-A-L-A-C-H. You'll notice that sometimes Tolkien only differentiates the son of somebody or daughter of somebody by one letter. Is it confusing? Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, here we go. Among them was Malak, son of Marak, and he dwelt in Hithlam for fourteen years, and he learned the elven tongue, and was given the name Aradan. The Edain did not long dwell content in Estelad, for many still desired to go westward, but they did not know the way. Before them lay the fences of Doriath, and the southern and southward lay Sirion and its impassable fens. Therefore the kings of the three houses of the Noldor, seeing hope of strength in the sons of men, sent word that any of the Edain that wished might remove and come to dwell among their people. In this way the migration of the Adine began, at first little by little, but later in families and kindreds they arose and left Estolad, until some fifty years, many after some until after some fifty years, many thousands had entered the lands of the kings. Most of these took the long road northward, but until the ways became well known to them, the people of Beor came to Dorthonian and dwelt in lands ruled by the house of Finarfin, the people of Aradan, for Marak his father remained in Estolad until his death. <laughs> so, sorry. <laughs> this is... <laughs> um, these are the people of Malak, that son of the chieftain who I said had the one name, uh, one letter change. That's him. They're all coming over westward. And some came to Hithlam, but Magor, son of Aradan, and many other people passed down Sirion into Beleriand and dwelt for a while in the vales of the southern slopes of Eredwethrin. I'm going to stop there for a second because my goodness. Now, do you have to remember all of this? Of course not. That would be absolutely ridiculous. All you have to know at this point right now is that the elves, specifically Felagund, went over the mountains, found humans, and brought them over. Um, and as there are more and more and more, um, several thousands are there. All right. Um, so we are getting the names of humans, but the, uh, oh, hang on. Am I pronounce? am I saying it incorrectly? I have, I have to emphasize the R, Finarfin. Finarfin? Finarfin? Anyway, Finarfin. Like a long R. Oh, you're just having fun in chat. <laughs> okay. Uh, anybody have any questions? It is said that in all these matters, save none save Finrod Felagund took counsel with King Thingol, and he was ill-pleased, both for that reason and because he was troubled by the dreams concerning the comings of men, ere the first tidings of them were heard. Therefore he commanded that men should take no lands to dwell in, save in the north, and that the princes whom they served should be answerable for all that they did. And he said, Into Doriath shall no man come while my realm lasts, 
not even those of the house of Beor who serve Finrod the Beloved. Melian said nothing to him at that time, but afterwards she said to Galadriel, Now the world runs on swiftly to greater tidings, and one of men, and even of Beor's house, shall indeed come, and the girdle of Melian shall not restrain him, for doom greater than my power shall send him, and the songs that shall spring from the coming halls shall endure when all Middle-earth is changed. We got another prophecy. We got another prophecy. So Melian, you'll, okay, so just to remember, right, in the middle of Middle-earth, <laughs> in the middle of Middle-earth at this point, there is this giant forest, and there is a king named Thingol, who lives there with his wife, Melian, who is a, one of the lesser gods. They just put a giant force field around their entire realm, right? And now all of a sudden, Melian, the wife who put the giant force field there, is like, all right, I know we're not allowing humans into our realm, but I think there's going to be one that's going to come into our realm and is going to screw things up. And if he's not going to screw things up, he's going to be the forebearer of screwing things up. That's what that prophecy said. Actually, I'm going to read that again, just so we all get a sense, because it's important later on. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> Chris from space. Melian said, bet. She did. <clears throat> Into Doriath shall come no man while my... Oh, no, hang on. That's Thingol. Here we go. But afterwards, she said to Galadriel, Now the world runs on swiftly to great tidings, and one of men, even of Beor's house, shall indeed come, and the girdle of Melian shall not restrain him. For doom greater than my power shall send him, and the songs that shall spring from the coming shall endure when all Middle-earth is changed. So let's break that down for half a second, right? Melian is a Maya, who is one of the, uh, I usually refer to them as like demigods-ish, because remember, there's Eru at the top, then there's the Ainur, who are beings of his thought. The Ainur have two subsects, the Valar and the Maiar. The Valar are over in the Undying Lands. The Maiar, at least Melian, is here in Middle-earth. There's also Ulmo, who is in the waters of Middle-earth, who's basically Poseidon. Um, now, whether or not this is a prophecy versus whether this is, like, foreshadowing or them having a hunch, uh, it's unclear. Yeah. Um, you got to think about that for, like, half a second. What is more powerful than a Maiar, Right? one of the Ainur, one of the Valar. So Melian is kind of getting a sense like, mm, I think the Valar are going to get involved in this. I'm having some sort of foreshadowing. Hope that helps. Because that's kind of a confusing... Whenever Tolkien gets into prophecy, I like to try and break it down. All right, let's keep it going. But many men returned to Estolad, and there, st and there was still a mingled people living there long years after, until the ruin of Beleriand, they were overwhelmed or fled back to the east. For besides the old who deemed that their wandering days were over, there were not a few who desired to go their own way, and they feared the Eldar and the light of their eyes. And then dissension awoke among the Edain, in which the shadow of Morgoth may be discerned. For certain it is that he knew of the coming of men into Beleriand and of their growing friendship with the elves. Dun-dun-dun. Way more. Anyway. The leaders of distant content were Bereg of the house of Beor, and Amlak, one of the grandsons of Marak, 
And they said openly, We took long roads, desiring to escape the perils of Middle-earth and the dark things that dwell there. For we heard that there was light in the West. Again, capital L. But now we learn that the light is beyond the sea. Thither we cannot come where the gods dwell in bliss, save one, for the Lord of the Dark is here before us, and the Eldar, wise but fell, who make endless war upon him. In the north he dwells, they say, and there is the pain and death from which we fled. We will not go that way. This also, actually, this is a great part that I can kind of call out. Um, a lot of people who only read the trilogy are very curious about the religion and what lies beyond in the Undying Lands. This is a great um, passage to make mention of. The men who are interacting with these elves learn of the Valar. So humans are aware that there are the Valar, the lesser gods of Tolkien's universe, but they're on a different continent. They know that they exist, but they don't quite know what they are yet. There's still some sort of shifty, um, some shiftiness around it. Um, so they are aware that they exist, but there is no sort of desire to worship um, these, these beings at all. Then a council and assembly of men was called, and great numbers came together. And the elf friends answered Bereg, saying, Truly, from the dark king come all the evils from which we fled. But he seeks dominion over all Middle-earth, and whither now shall we turn, and he will not pursue us. So basically they're saying, where would we go? Where are we going to go? We're, they're going to find us. Morgoth's going to find us. Unless he be vanquished here, or at least held in leaguer, only by the valor of the Eldar is he restrained, and maybe it was for this purpose, to aid them at need, that we were brought into this land. So they're saying, maybe we, we are here for a purpose. To this, Bereg answered, Let the Eldar look to it. Our lives are short enough. But there arose one who seemed at all to be Amlak, son of Imlak, speaking fell words that shook the hearts of all that heard him. All this is but elvish lore, tales of beguiled newcomers that are unwary. The sea has no shore. There is no light in the west. You have followed a fool fire of the elves to the end of the world. Which of you has seen the least of the gods? Who has beheld the dark king in the north? Those who seek the dominion of Middle-earth are the Eldar. Greedy for wealth, they have delved in the earth for the secrets and have stirred the wrath of things that dwelled beneath it, as they have ever done and ever shall. Let the orcs have the realm that is theirs, and we will have ours. There is room in the world if the Eldar will let us be. Strong words. And not the last time that humans will say, let the elves deal with it. Not the last time elves will have that same thought, let the humans deal with it, right? Uh... And, and you know what Mag Magpie uh, is uh, saying in the chat? He's not entirely wrong. There is maybe some credence to the idea that maybe we as humans, they're saying that maybe we as humans do let the elves go, let the orcs go. But remember, Morgoth desires to rule over Middle-earth entirely. It is a back and forth, a constant 
who's going to fight here, who's going to fight there, boom, 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 back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the question becomes, who's going to blink first? To use a, a uh, American idiom, who's, who's going to, who's going to um, take that first step and, and gain that extra ground and keep going and fight? And for now, the elves have been content to just kind of hold Morgoth at bay. It's been close to 300 years since there was really a, a huge fight, I think. Also, Telvin, thank you again for another gift sub. Very kind of you. Much appreciated. That's five times. <laughs> All right. Let's keep it going, because there is a response to this. Then those that listened sat for a while astounded, and the shadow of fear fell on their hearts, and they resolved to depart far from the lands of the Eldar. But afterwards, Amlak returned among them, and denied that he had been present at their debate, or had spoken such words as they reported. And there was doubt and bewilderment among men. Then the elf friends said, You will now believe this at least. There is indeed a dark lord, and his spies and emissaries are among us, for he fears us and the strength that we may give to his foes. Did you catch that? Morgoth sent one of his shapeshifters into a council of men and made that shapeshifter look like Amlok. So, uh, Magpie, when you say he's not entirely wrong, sorry, you did just kind of side with Morgoth. Just a little bit. It's okay. It happens to the best of us. All right, here we go. But some still answered, he hates us, rather, and ever the more the longer we dwell here, meddling in his quarrel with the kings of the Eldar, to no gain of ours. Many, therefore, of those that yet remained in Estolad made ready to depart, and Bereg led a thousand of the people of Beor away southward, and they passed out of the songs of those days. But Amlok repented, saying, I have now a quarrel of my own with this master of lies, which will last to my life's end. And he went away north and entered the service of Mathros. But those of his people, who were of like mind with Bereg, chose a new leader, and they went back over the mountains into Eriador and are forgotten. So, in a way, I'll pause there. If anyone has any questions in the chat, feel free to let us, uh, feel free to ask them. All right, so a bunch of humans have just left again. It's totally gone. All right. During this time, the Haladin remained in Thargelion and were content. But Morgoth, seeing that by lies and deceit he could not yet wholly estrange elves from men, was filled with wrath and endeavored to do men what hurt he could. Therefore he sent out an orc raid, and passing east it escaped the leaguer, and came in stealth back over Ered Lindon by the passes of the dwarf road, and fell upon the Haladin in the southern wood in the land of Caranthir. That's one of the sons of, Finarf, of uh, Theanor. Now the Haladin did not live under the rule of lords or many together, but each homestead was set apart and governed its own affairs, and they were slow to unite. But there was among them a man named Haldad, H-A-L-D-A-D, who was masterful and fearless, and he gathered all the brave men that he could find and retreated into, 
into the angle of land between Ascar and Gelion, and in the utmost corner he built a stockade across the water, across from water to water, and behind it they led all the women and children that they could save. There they were besieged until their food was gone. Haled had twin children, Haleth his daughter, and Haldar his son, and both were valiant in the defense, for Haleth was a woman of great heart and strength. But at last, Halad was slain in a sortie against the orcs, and Haldar, who rushed out to save his father's body from their butchery, was hewn down beside him. Then Halath led the people together, though they were without hope, and some cast themselves in the river and were drowned. But seven days later, as the orcs made their last assault and had already broken through the stockade, there came suddenly the music of trumpets. And Caranthir, with his host, came down from the north and drove the orcs into the rivers. Then Caranthir looked kindly upon men, and did Haleth great honor, and he offered her recompense for her father and brother. And seeing over late what valor, valor there was in the Adine, he said to her, If you will remove and dwell further north, there you shall have the friendship and protection of the Eldar, and free lands of your own. So he's finally repenting, right? But Halath was proud, and unwilling to be guided or ruled. And most of the Haladin were of like mood. Therefore she thanked Caranthir, but answered, My mind is now set, Lord, to leave the shadow of the mountain and go west, whither others of our kin have gone. When, therefore, the Haladin had gathered all whom they could find alive of their folk who had fled into the woods before the orcs, and had gleaned what remained of their goods in their burned homesteads, they took Haleth for their chief, and she led them, at last, to Estelad, and there dwelt for a time. But they remained a people apart, and were ever known to elves and men as the people of Haleth. Halath remained their chief while her days lasted, but she did not wed, and the headship afterwards passed to Haldad's son to Haldad, son of Haldar, her brother. Soon, however, Halath desired to move westward again, and though most of her people were against this counsel, she led them forth once more, and they went without help or guidance of the Eldar, passing over Kelon and Aros, they journeyed into perilous lands between the mountain of terror and the girdle of Melian. Now, just to give you an idea, this very strong, well-written female character that Tolkien has written, so, you know, props, Tolkien, um, is journeying in between the giant forest that has the force field around it and the mountain barrier, basically, where Morgoth's forces sometimes hang out, right? This is the place where Morgoth uh, was almost eaten by Ungoliant. Um, and, like, the screams can still be heard in this mountain range. This is that area. It's not a great place. Um, that land was, even then, not yet so evil as it, became, as it after became. But it was no road for mortal men to take without aid. And Halath only brought her people through with the hardship and loss, constraining them to go forward by the strength of her will. At last they crossed over the Brekiak, and, and many bitterly repented of their journey. But there was now no returning. Therefore, in new lands, they went back to their old life as best they could, 
and they dwelt in free homesteads in the woods of Talath Dirnin, beyond Taglin, and some wandered far into the realms of Nargothrond. But there were many who loved the Lady Halath, and wished her to go whither she would, and dwell under her rule. And these she led into the forest of Brethiel, between Taglin and Sirion. Thither in the evil days that followed, many of her scattered folk returned. Now Brethiel was claimed as part of his realm by King Thingol. Remember, King Thingol, guy in the giant force heel with his magical elf wife. Not a happy camper, but very proud of what he's done. <laughs> Not a happy camper. I just described, like, everyone in the Silmarillion. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's not far off. It's not far off. All right. Now, Brethiel was claimed as part of his realm by King Thingol, though it was not within the girdle of Melian. And he would have denied it to Haleth. But Felagant, who had great friendship with Thingol, hearing of all that had befallen the people of Haleth, obtained this grace for her, that she should dwell free in Brethiel, upon the condition only that her people should guard the crossing of Taglin against the enemies of the Eldar, and allow no orcs to enter their woods. To this Haleth answered, where are Haldad my father, and Haldar my brother? If the king of Doriath fears a friendship between Haleth and those who have devoured her kin, then the thoughts of the Eldar are strange to men. And Haleth dwelt in Brethiel until she died, and her people raised a green mound over her in the height of the forest, Tur Haretha, the Lady Barrow. Haude en Arwen, in the Sindarin tongue. Uh, food was gone, Lady Barrow, here we go. In this way it came to pass that the Edain dwelt in the lands of the Eldar, some here, some there, some wandering, some settled in kindreds or small people. But the most part of them soon learned the Grey Elven tongue, both as a common speech among... Ooh, excuse me. Both as a common speech among themselves and because many were eager to learn the lore of the Elves. But after a time, the elf kings, seeing that it was not good for elves and men to dwell mingled together without order, that the men needed lords of their own kind, set regions apart where men could live their own lives, and appointed chieftains to hold these lands freely. They were the allies of the Eldar in war, but marched under their own leaders. Yet many of the Edain had delight in the friendship of the elves, and dwelt among them for so long that they had, for so long as they had leave, and the young men often took service for a time in the hosts of their kings. Now Haldor Lindon, son of Hathol, son of Magor, son of Malak, Arad. Okay, hang on. Cocaine. Okay. Okay. So remember the guy Malak who I said had one son that had one named, uh, one letter difference to Marak. This is one of his ancestors. So here we go. Hador Lindon, who is the son of Hathol, son of Magor, son of Malak. Malak was the son of one of the original men that came over. So this is like his ancestor, right? Or, or one, two, three, four, fifth great, 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 great grandson. Tolkien does not make this easy for me, does he? Now Hador, Lorindal, son of Hathol, son of Megor, son of Malak Aradan, 
entered the household of Fingolfin in his youth and was loved by the king. Fingolfin, therefore, came to him, gave to him the lordship of Dor Loman, and into that land he gathered most of the people of his kin, and became the mightiest of the chieftains of the Edain. In his house only the elven tongue was spoken, but their own speech was not forgotten, and from it came the common tongue of Numenor. Hmm? 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 We know what Numenor is, right? Those of you that have watched my TikToks and that have watched the movies and read the books, we know what's going on. The sons of Hador were Galdor and Gundor, and the sons of Galdor were Hurin and Huor, and the sons of Hurin were Turin, the bane of Glaurung, and the son of Huor was Tuor, father of Earendil, the blessed. The son of Boromir, different Boromir, was Bregor, whose son was Bregolas and Barahir. And the son of Bregolas was Beragund and Belagund, and the daughter of Baragund was Morwin, and the mother of Turin, and the daughter of Belagund was Rhine, the, the mother of Tuor. But the son of Barahir was Baron Onehand, who won the love of Luthien, Thingol's daughter, and returned from the dead. From them came Elwing, the wife of Earendil, and the, all the kings of Numenor after. Oh, that is one paragraph to describe the entire lineage of Tolkien's legendarium of humans. You're welcome. Let's break this down, because we've only got, what, a, a half a page left. Here we go. So, the son of Hador were Galdor and Gundor. We don't have to worry about them. The sons of Galdor were Hurin and Huor. H-U-R-I-N and H-U-O-R. You need to remember Hurin and Huor. Hurin especially. The sons of Hurin was Turin, the bane of Glaurung. Turin is also very important. There is an entire book called Children of Horin. One of those children is Turin. We're going to see it there this 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 is a 300 page book. It's important. Big 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 flashing symbols going off. <clears throat> the son of Huor was Tuor. Father of Earendil. If you have seen any of my TikToks, you know that Earendil is Elrond's dad. Bing 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 very important. Pay attention to him. The son of Boromir was Bregor, whose sons were Bregolas and Barahir. If you have seen some of my videos, you know that Aragorn wears a ring called the Ring of Barahir. Barahir is important, or Barahir, depending on how you want to pronounce it. The daughter of Baragund was Morwin. Morwin's important, remember her. The mother of Turin. So, Morwin and Horin have a son named Turin. It's important. And the daughter of Beragund was Rhine, the mother of Tuor. But the son of Barahir was Beren Onehand, who won the love of Luthien Thingol's daughter and returned from death, from whom came Elwing, the wife of Earendil, and all of the kings of Numenor. Now, not to belittle the point of Tolkien being as subtle as a train wreck, there is an entire book called The Tale of Baron and Luthien. So that one paragraph, you don't realize it at the time, is super important. All these were caught in the net of the doom of the Noldor, and they did great deeds which the Eldar remember still among the histories of the kings of old.
And in those days the strength of men was added to the power of the Noldor, and their hope was high, and Morgoth was straitly enclosed, for the people of Hador, being hardy to, ensure, to endure cold and long wandering, feared not at times to go far into the north and there keep watch upon the movements of the enemy. And the men of the three houses throve and multiplied, but greatest among them was the house of Hador Goldenhead, peer of the elven lords. His people were of great strength and stature, ready in mind, bold and steadfast, quick to anger and to laughter, mighty among the children of Iluvatar in the youth of mankind. Yellow-haired they were, for the most part, and blue-eyed. But not so was Turin, whose mother was Morwin of the house of Beor. The men of that house were dark or brown-haired, with gray eyes, and of all men they were most like to the Noldor, and, lo and most loved by them. For men, oh, excuse me, for they were eager of mind, cunning-handed, swift in understanding, long in memory, and they were moved sooner to pity than to laughter. Like to them were the woodland folk of Halath, but they were lesser in stature, and less eager for lore. They used few words, and did not love great concourse with men. And many among them delighted in solitude, wandering free in the greenwoods, while in the greenwoods, while the wonder of the lands of the Eldar was new upon them. Oh, excuse me, I skipped an entire line. Like to them were the wood folk, woodland folk of Haleth, but they were of lesser stature. My mistake. Let me go back and redo that. All right. Um, like to them were the woodland folk of Haleth. That's the strong uh, female character that Tolkien wrote in this chapter. Woohoo! Finally, thank you, Tolkien. Like to them were the woodland folk of Haleth, but they were lesser in stature and e less eager for lore. They used few words and did not love great concourse of men, and many among them delighted in solitude, wandering free in the woodlands while the world, while the wonder of the lands of the Eldar was new upon them. But in the realms of the West, their time was brief, and their days unhappy. The years of the Edain were lengthened, according to the reckoning of men, after their coming into Beleriand. But at last, Beor the Old died when he had lived three and ninety years, for four and forty of which he had served King Thelagund. And when he lay dead, of no wound or grief but stricken by age, the Eldar saw for the first time the swift waning of the life of men, and the death of weariness, which they knew not themselves, and they grieved greatly for the loss of their friend. But Beor, at the last, had relinquished his life willingly, and passed in peace. And the Eldar wondered much at the strange fate of men, for in all their lore there was no account of it, and its end was hidden from them. Nonetheless, the Edain of old learned swiftly of the Eldar all such art and knowledge as they could perceive, and their sons and daughters, I'm adding that part, and their sons and daughters increased in wisdom and skill until they far surpassed all other of mankind, whom dwelt still east of the mountains and had not seen the Eldar, nor looked upon the faces that had beheld the light of Valinor. All right, that ends chapter 17.